Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. You hear all those those silly little stories about, oh, it was such a small town. No one ever locked their doors. Why not? Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. You know, today is the conclusion of our two-part story on the murder of Janet Downing. So if you didn't listen last week, stop right now, go back and listen to part one because you won't understand anything that we're talking about. But I am sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. I didn't think that I could get any farther from you guys, but you're going to New York this week for six weeks? Six weeks. Six weeks. I'm going to be so far away from you. We're going to be on different time zones. I am not happy about it. I'm not happy either. I'm going to miss you so much. I'm far away from my besties. I know. all I need in life. This is bullshit. It's bullshit. Well, Billy, what day is it today? It is National Buy a Priest a Beer Day. Oh, who made up this day? It's very specific. (laughs) Very specific. It's also Care Bears Share Your Care Day, if anybody remembers Care Bears. Who doesn't? But it's also National Teddy Bear Day, and I have a feeling that there's a bit of a rivalry going on there. The teddy bear being like, listen, I'm old school. You guys have a little logo or a shamrock on your tummy, and you get your own day. I've been here forever. Yeah, that is a weird uh, combination of days. I I mean, I was never a big Care Bear person. I have the teddy bear that I was born with in my room. So I'm definitely on team bear day. I didn't have a teddy bear. I had a Puffalump and that's also in my room. Oh, Puffy. Yeah. Puffy. Puffy the Puffalump. All right. Well, that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. off last week with a shocking arrest of 15-year-old Eddie O'Brien following the murder of his best friend's mother, Janet Downing, who had been stabbed nearly a hundred times and found in the dining room of her home. 
With us, we still have our first-degree Crystal, who, along with the rest of our Somerville, Massachusetts neighborhood, was absolutely reeling after the murder and Eddie's arrest. This community consisted of families who have been there for generations, generations of trust built between neighbors, and whose foundations were destroyed after Janet's murder and Eddie was arrested for it. What followed was an incredible fracture that would reverberate, well, forever. Because although this happened in 1995, and despite the fact that Eddie's appeals have been rejected over and over, there are still some individuals who refuse to accept that at the young age of 15, Eddie O'Brien was a budding sexual sadist, possibly on his way to becoming a serial murderer. Following Eddie's arrest, the media exploded in coverage of the bizarre case. I mean, reporters were everywhere. They were all over our street. We couldn't get on or off our street without being swarmed by the media. And they were asking us for comment. And my mother said, whatever you do, you are not to speak to any of the reporters or say anything. And I think my mother was just fearful that, you know, we didn't know how long he would be in jail or if he would get bond or what. And my mother just out of fear and our own safety forbade us from giving any comment. Ironically, she ended up giving her own comment to an AP news article, but it was something benign as something about how she couldn't believe that it was somebody on our own street that would that would do such a horrible thing. But um, I just remember I had to walk to school. I had to walk to the bus stop and wait for the bus and go to school. And there were reporters every day um, when we were leaving and every day when we were coming back and then constantly looking down and brushing them off. No, 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 no comment. Regardless of what you want to say to them, just, I think my mother put the fear of God in us. (laughs) So we we weren't going to disobey that. As we mentioned, following Eddie's arrest, there was a sharp divide between neighborhood residents. The argument about whether or not Eddie should be granted bail sat front and center. The most terrifying thing is right after he was arrested, it already started to get politicized because it was his, again, his, his parents were very enabling and they just really went on this advocacy about his innocence. They wanted to give him bail. They wanted to give him bond and let him out um, while he waited for his trial. And nothing terrified us more than that. And the prosecutor called a meeting and It was a meeting of the neighbors and said, you know, you guys can all come down to the Somerville police station on this particular night and let's hear it. If you want me to fight against Bond, let's hear why. Or if you don't, let's hear why. So my parents went down to the Somerville police station for this meeting and My dad, he said it was crazy how you could see the division in the room. There were these people in the room who were like, there's no way that Eddie could have done such a thing. This big, gentle teddy bear, uh, you you know, you got to let him out on bond. And then there was a whole sane side of the room that said, if there is any potential that this this person could have perpetrated such a heinous and brutal crime to the point that you're taking this to trial and prosecuting this case, then it is absolutely irresponsible for you to let this person out on bond. I mean, we were shaken in our boots and I just remember being terrified, uh, not allowed to go to the meeting with my parents, but 
my my dad went and said hell no and there was this division in the room and it was no longer anymore like those happy little events where we were all you know making the tower pretty again and barbecuing together and it, again it was this one side of the room versus the other side of the room and it ended up luckily being that he never got bail so we felt much safer because of that As we just heard from Crystal, Eddie was not granted bail. To some, this was an incredible relief, and to others, this was a travesty. And regardless of what each person's respective opinion ultimately was on the subject, it's likely that every person who knew Eddie was kind of searching the past for signs, going over his past behavior, and trying to find anything to make sense of this tragedy. And I'm sure everyone was deconstructing scenarios and trying to put them in one of two categories innocuous or sinister. You know, they're probably thinking, was that weird thing that he did a few years ago normal behavior for a 15-year-old in an awkward stage? Or was it something that foreshadowed a very ominous outcome that came to be? As the police continued to conduct their investigation, a number of people came forward with stories from the previous months. Janet's brother Steve told the Boston Globe that Eddie had a bizarre habit of asking Janet very personal questions when he was at the Downing House hanging out with Ryan and Paul. Janet's daughter, Carrie Ann, told the police that many odd things had occurred in the Downing home that they believed Eddie to be responsible for. They were very obscure occurrences that in one way, shape, or form seemed to be directed at Janet. Items would appear and then disappear, including Janet's favorite Christmas decorations. Janet found a bottle of windshield wiper fluid in her car. On another occasion, Janet found a random bag of clothing in her closet, and they were clothes that she didn't recognize. Then, one morning, Janet made her normal morning cup of coffee, as she did every day. And it tasted, well, off. It tasted chemical. And when she smelled it, it seemed as though someone had poured perfume into her coffee. These are super weird things to be happening. And like we said, Janet and her kids got along great. So this wasn't happening from within the home. And when the Downings looked back to connect the dots, these occurrences seemed to coincide with Eddie's visits to the home. And obviously when it happened, we hadn't heard yet about the fascination he had with her. So I didn't know what out of what place that rage came from. Later on, when we find out that it had been kind of a long-standing fascination and Prior to uh, the murder, he had gone in and and messed with some of the items in the house and replaced the cooking oil in the house with some other substance. And he was doing all sorts of weird things. And um, basically just, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could premeditate something like this. Eddie's friends also searched their memories for any signs that something with Eddie or Eddie's relationship with Janet could be amiss. And it turns out, the answer was yes. Janet's twin sons, Ryan and Paul, recalled many strange conversations they had with Eddie about their mom in the months prior to her murder. And these conversations, in hindsight, seemed to reveal a fascination with Janet. It was commonly known that Eddie had a telescope in his room, and Ryan remembered one instance where Eddie told him that he could see his mom getting undressed through her window at night. So Ryan's repulsed and yelled at his friend and told him to stop doing this. Things got a little tense for a moment, but as teens are to do, they moved on. There were other conversations that Paul and Ryan recalled in which Eddie chastised and criticized their mom's cooking. 
which seemed, again, odd. And we mentioned in last week's episode that Janet's best friend lived just a few doors down from her house. While apparently it was normal for Eddie to make fun of Janet and call her a lesbian pretty incessantly due to this time that she spent with her friend. And again, the boys told him to stop but ultimately moved on. Eddie would also ask the boys incessantly why their mother would sit in her car for a while after she got home from work. So clearly this means Eddie's tracking Janet and watching her sit in her car alone and was unusually fixated on her behaviors. Another instance of this occurred when Paul was changing a light bulb for his mom in her master bedroom. And Eddie called the house asking why the light in Janet's bedroom was flickering. So this is pretty bizarre. And you're probably wondering, didn't Ryan and Paul think it was odd that their best friends seemed to either be obsessed with Janet or despise her depending on the day? Well, the answer is yes. They thought it was really fucking odd. In fact, it really came to a head. They got really pissed at Eddie and told him to stop talking negatively about their mom once and for all. And following a blow up on the subject, Eddie denied that he disliked Janet at all and he seemed to stop his weird behavior. And you have to remember, these kids are 15 and 16 years old. If somebody was saying shit about your mom as an adult, alarm bells are obviously going to be going off hardcore in your brain. But A, adolescent boys are weird and awkward, and they can sometimes test boundaries and explore their sexuality in strange ways sometimes. And B, the closeness of these families seemed to blur the lines of proper boundaries, and they were sort of like this one big family, which confused the emotions of this further. And C, Paul and Ryan, at 16 years old, didn't have the insight or wisdom to pick up on the fact that Eddie's behavior was troubling. And because, let's face it, some teenagers do weird shit and never go on to hurt anybody. It's only in hindsight that someone would think, I should have known this was coming. Forensic psychologists who looked at the characteristics of Janet's attack deduced that whomever killed Janet possessed a lot of rage. Because remember, she was stabbed 98 times. So does this align with Eddie as a possible suspect? And it just so happens that our first-degree crystal experienced Eddie's rage firsthand and had a front-row seat to how quickly he could go from zero to 60. It was about a year before the incident. Uh, Adjacent to our backyard, there was a driveway. And at the end of the driveway, in the corner of the yard where the property meets the street, we had a giant shed. The shed was big. It was made of like aluminum or tin or something. And it was, I would say 15 feet by 10 or 15 feet. There's like a huge room to walk around in. So this is significant because it was so big. Um, Anyway, so we're walking around the backyard, me and my sister that is playing, just being kids running around. And out of the blue, Eddie shows up, he just enters the driveway and he just started talking to us and we just felt very weirded out, strange. Why is he interacting with us? Again, very huge person and intimidating. So we kind of shut down. We we kind of didn't want to play with him and we didn't know how to react to him. Um, so he started to get agitated um, with the fact that we wouldn't really reciprocate his um, attempts to interact. And he kept talking to us and we just, I guess we shut him down. And he got really, really angry and he just snapped out of nowhere. And it was 
terrifying, but he just flew into this rage and out of anger and out of nowhere, he took all, all of his weight and he just, in a rage, he just ran full speed and just crushed our shed. And it literally collapsed into a pancake, just rubble. I just remember being so shocked and so terrified, shocked and disbelief of what happened. And oh my God, my mother is going to flip, right? And that's just the, the fear that you have as a, a child that age. And I just remember looking up and looking at the house and to my shock and maybe a little bit to my relief, I saw that my mother was standing at the window. She had seen the whole thing happen. There's that whole relief of, oh my God, good, I don't have to make her understand that it wasn't me that did this. But the look on her face was just this, she was just apoplectic. She ran outside of the house and just right up to Eddie and she started screaming, get off my property. Why would you do this? Why would you ever do this? Get off, you are not allowed to come back here again. You're never allowed to play with my kids again. Get out of here. Just screaming and then screaming at us, get in the house, get in the house. So we did, we ran in the house and I just remember being so beside myself that anyone could ever do or would ever do something like that and thinking, wow, my, my, my nervous instinct or intuition was right about him. He just wasn't, he wasn't quite right. He was off. And so we went in the house. So this was Crystal and her family's first real glimpse into who Eddie was. And Eddie's father was next. And maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, there's pounding at the back door of our house. And I remember just kind of creeping into the kitchen and being a little bit underneath the kitchen table, trying to see what was going on. And at the door, it was Eddie's father. And he was just enraged. He was screaming at my mother, screaming at her. How dare you yell at my child? How dare you tell my child that he can't come on your property or play with your kids? Kids will be kids. Don't you know that? How can you possibly yell at my child? Don't you ever, ever yell at my child? And my mother was just, my mother's a little woman, but she, she's feisty. So she was you know, defending herself and saying, do you, do you see what he just did to, to, to the property? And just said, I don't ever want your son coming back here again. Don't ever allow him back here again. And apparently, I guess Eddie was out there with him, maybe. I couldn't see because of my position in the kitchen. But then he was screaming at Eddie saying, don't ever come back here. Don't ever come back from this property. It was so bizarre. And I just remember being terrified of this happening and just not understanding how a, a person could bring down such a structure. It was so, it was so scary. So this encounter with Eddie is interesting for a couple of reasons. First, it demonstrates that he's quick to anger, but it's also an interesting glimpse into Eddie's dynamic with his father. But anyways, switching gears back to the odd behavior and comments made by Eddie, there was more from the day Janet was killed. In part one, we walked you through the final hours prior to Janet's murder, which included the brothers, Ryan and Paul, and their friends helping Janet unload groceries from her car. Afterwards, the boys were coming and going from Janet's kitchen as they discussed their plans for that evening. Well, within that time, the brothers saw Eddie alone on the rear deck of the house, and he was attempting to enter the kitchen from the back door. 
So Ryan opened the door for Eddie and explained that the back door was broken and needed to be fixed. Eddie then asked Ryan if anyone could enter the house by this door. Ryan replied yes and explained that the family had to use the deadbolt at night to secure it. Ryan then demonstrated the use of this deadbolt and showed him how the lock work because this is his best friend after all. And then Eddie tried the lock himself and saw how it worked. And remember, police believe that Janet's killer used this door either to exit or enter the crime scene. Police executed a search warrant at the O'Brien home. And Eddie's room was what you'd expect from a 15-year-old boy. He had a Celtics jersey hanging over his bed. There were baseball cards all over the room, a set of barbells, hockey equipment, and that telescope we told you about by his window. But on Eddie's dresser, they found a page from a newspaper dated June 27th. The paper's cover story had the following headline, quote, we're natural born killers. Here's an excerpt from the article. As they changed out of their bloody clothes, the men who plunged a knife into an elderly Avon man 27 times bragged that they were natural born killers. Only this page was present on this dresser. The rest of the paper was nowhere to be found. In a trash can inside the house, police found two pornographic movies. In a trash can outside the house, they found a red knife wrapped in a paper towel. So at this point, we're two weeks out from Janet's murder. And here's where things stand. Eddie's behind bars. Eddie's parents are raising hell trying to get their son bail so he can be at home with them, which wasn't totally surprising. Eddie's grandfather was the chief of police at one point, had since retired. And so, and his father was kind of got into trouble and the whole family was just, it was an enabling cycle that you could see kind of going on. So I guess in retrospect, it doesn't surprise me at all that he would have been that way. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program and it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, 
that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree 50 at factorymeals.com slash degree 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Eddie's family refused to accept that there was even the slightest possibility that Eddie could have done this. They made a lot of noise and they put a lot of effort towards searching for these quote-unquote muggers that Eddie claimed to have been mugged by the night of the murder. I mean, really, again, no coincidences in true crime. This is the fact of life. And his enabling parents pushing this narrative went for so long and they put up a reward and they kept pushing that and pushing that to try and masquerade this, this whole narrative. And it was just, it was infuriating. And this whole gentle giant uh, teddy bear, like I, I knew differently from what I had seen in my own backyard, literally. I just couldn't, just how much like politicizing happened. People did not know, but they they were so for or against based on their political beliefs that the story just got so messed up. While Eddie's law enforcement family were up in arms, Janet's family was reeling. The two weeks that it had passed had been the worst of their lives. They had to deal with memorial services for Janet, and her three children were grappling not only with their grief, but also with plans to move out of town to live with their father and stepmother. Meanwhile, Eddie was working with a defense attorney named Robert A. George when he suddenly presents an alternative version of his story from the night of Janet's murder. Eddie consistently denied his involvement in killing Janet. But now he was saying that he actually had been at the Downing home on the night of the murder, and it's there that he encountered a masked stranger. Right. He was now saying that he crossed paths with a man wearing a stocking over his head. Eddie said he was in the house when he discovered Janet's lifeless body. He ran to her side and he touched her to see if she was okay. That's when the masked man came up behind him and confronted him. This guy threatened to kill Eddie and kill his whole family if he said anything to anyone or if he went to the police. Eddie said he didn't recognize this man. Eddie claimed to be so terrified that he listened to the intruder and didn't tell anyone. 
you know, of course we know that this purpose of this story is to explain how Eddie's DNA and bloody fingerprints ended up in the Downing home and how Janet's DNA ended up on him. So we see what Eddie's doing here. So Eddie then claimed that after he fled from the Downing home, that's when he crossed paths with the two men in Union Square who mugged him. Yes. So Eddie was having a really rough night. He encountered a masked murderer who killed his best friend's mother and then threatened to kill him. Then he knelt down and he touched his friend's dead mom as she lay dying in a pool of blood on the floor. Then he left and encountered two muggers with knives who stabbed him. And this all happened within about five minutes. It's pretty bold storytelling. His fingerprints in her blood on the door jam in, in the house. And then he, it took two weeks after he was arrested. Only then did he slip his lawyer a note in court that said, I have to tell you something. I was at the scene of the crime. And the lawyer hears his new story, which is that he was there, but he didn't do it. So basically he came in the house to see if Janet's son wanted to accompany him to their friend Garvey's house. And when he went in, all the lights were off and he saw her body on the floor. And he said, and I touched her, I rolled her over. So he's trying to place himself so that his DNA and his blood and his hand, fingerprints are no longer evident and saying that, but when he did that, there was a dark figure that came out from behind him that, that and, and pointed a knife at him and said, if you ever tell anybody, I'll kill you and your whole family. I mean, sounds like every movie, you, you know, that's, sounds like it's exactly something that a 15 year old would concoct in their head, you know? And he said, oh, at that point, I just got up and I ran out the basement and, and just ran out. Right. And somebody did see him run out or leave the house, apparently. So, but I mean, come on. It's like, I was born at night, but not last night, buddy. It was insane. Authorities never recovered a murder weapon. Although the circumstances surrounding the search for it were interesting. Police spoke to a clerk at the Midnight Convenience Store who said that Eddie O'Brien showed him a knife, one with a green handle and a loose hilt, the night before Janet was slain. And if you remember, a piece of a knife was found on the steps of the Downing home. And police believe this piece of metal had come off of the murder weapon during the violent attack. But wait, there's more. Remember that red knife that was found in the trash can outside of Eddie's house? The hilt of that knife lined up perfectly with that piece of metal found on the stairs at the Downing crime scene. And this red knife was also identical to the green knife that Eddie showed the store clerk the night before. Matching knives, one red, one green. That green knife was never recovered, and it's believed that that was the one that was used to kill Janet, snapping apart during the attack, leaving a piece of it on the steps of the house. And prior to Eddie's trial, there were pre-trial hearings to determine which court Eddie would be tried in, either juvenile court or adult court. And there was a lot of legal maneuvering here. And to make a long story short, a decision would go one way, then it would be appealed, then it would go the other way, then fought again. And the stakes were crazy high. If he were tried and found guilty as a juvenile, he would face a maximum of 20 years. If he was tried and found guilty as an adult, he faced a life sentence. And ultimately, Eddie's case landed in adult court, so he was facing life, life without the possibility of parole. And psychological tests concluded that Eddie was deeply troubled. 
He sometimes lived in a fantasy world that kept hidden from those around him that no one in the courtroom really knew him. And one doctor testified that Eddie had an inflated view of himself and that he thought he lived above all the rules that applied to those around him. The time between Eddie's arrest and the commencement of his trial spanned two years. And within that time, a lot had changed for everyone. As Eddie sat in jail, the Downings sold their family home, and the twin brothers, Ryan and Paul, and their older sister, Erin, moved in with their dad and their stepmom. Their father, in an effort to protect the mental health of his children, encouraged them to keep their distance from the chaos of their former best friend being on trial for the murder of their mother. And with good reason. Just try to imagine the betrayal of all of this. Coincidentally, on the same day it was decided that Eddie would be tried in adult court, Ryan went to a senior prom, so he's trying to move on as he should. From the beginning of the trial, the broad strokes seemed to show that the prosecution was the side with the physical, tangible evidence to prove that Eddie was, in fact, the killer. And the defense's strategy, in essence, was a barrage of excuses, explanations, and stories they produced in an attempt to explain how said evidence against Eddie came to be. They also planned to point out the sloppy crime scene work that undermined the physical evidence the prosecution claimed proved Eddie's guilt. The prosecution called witnesses in the form of Eddie's friends, some of whom said they saw Eddie lurking in the bushes outside the Downing home on the night of Janet's murder. They went over the DNA evidence which proved that blood samples recovered from the crime scene front door, the dining room door, and a dresser in the cellar matched Eddie's blood and that blood taken from Eddie's shin wound from the alleged mugging incident when he was at the hospital actually matched Janet's. And let's not forget the heaps of circumstantial evidence against Eddie. Eddie had a mounting interest in Janet Downing and was closely monitoring her daily activities in the months prior to her killing. Psychological experts testified to the extreme nature of the crime, the number and placement of the stab wounds, and the cuts on Janet's bra. And that these components indicated two things, overkill and a sexually sadistic homicide. When the defense presented their case, they started off by saying that Eddie didn't have the motive, means, opportunity, or capacity to commit such a brutal crime. And further, the defense believed that the best way to get Eddie off was to go with reasonable doubt by pointing the finger at someone else. They said in court that the real killer was probably none other than Janet Downing's brother-in-law, who she apparently had evicted from her house several months before the crime. They blamed the investigators for failing to look at this man as another potential suspect. And Eddie's priest, Father Henry Jennings, testified that Eddie had been the chief altar boy at the St. Joseph's Church, and some of the neighbors on the O'Brien side testified to the defendant's good manners. And in an attempt to explain away the incriminating DNA evidence, Eddie's team clung to the story about finding Janet's body, touching her, and encountering the mass murderer who threatened him. Inside the courtroom during the two-week trial, emotions on both sides were constantly running high. Janet's brother, Stephen, who was basically the family spokesperson, went to every single court date. Janet and Stephen's parents attended too, and they were forced to sit through some horrifying testimony about their daughter's injuries. Eddie's supporters were also in court, and outbursts were not uncommon. After two weeks, closing arguments were made, and the defense rested. And when the jury came back, they announced that they had, in fact, reached a verdict. Guilty. 
Eddie showed no emotion when the verdict was read and his parents called out to him. Quote, Ed, we love you, pal. After shouting words of support at his son, Eddie Sr. hurled obscenities at DA Thomas Riley. And the prosecutor was escorted by guards from the courtroom. Outside the courtroom, Eddie's father continued with media interviews. He said, quote, it's not over. We've got the appeal. I will die before my son spends any more time in jail than he has to. Eddie was automatically sentenced to life without parole, which was the mandatory sentence for first-degree murder. So that's it, right? Eddie goes to jail. They throw away the key. Victory for the Downing family. The Downings are free to mourn and pick up the pieces of their shattered lives, right? Well, wrong. So life without the possibility of parole. And then the thing of, and you know, you think, okay, great. You feel good about that. But then, you know, there's that, Godforsaken ruling that the Supreme Court made in 2012. Apparently, it's no longer kosher to, to do that. Right. Eddie had been in jail for 13 years of his life sentence. When in 2012, there's a plot twist that presents itself in the form of a Supreme Court decision that we've discussed many times on this show. The decision deems that sentencing juvenile offenders to life without parole is unconstitutional, which means minors convicted under these circumstances have the opportunity to be resentenced. Now, in Eddie's case, he still has a life sentence, but now he may at some point be eligible for parole, which means Janet's family has to live with the constant looming fear that one day Eddie may be released and that every few years they would have to face Janet's killer in court during a parole hearing. And I just, I feel so horrible because, you know, whether or not they say in America, you have a 50% chance of getting your crime solved if you're murdered and whether or not your loved one's case gets solved or it does get solved and the killer gets brought to justice, no matter what, the family has a life sentence. It's this life sentence of dealing with the agony that something so brutal and horrible could happen to someone you loved so much. And now after this 2012 ruling, there's this additional insult to injury that the poor Downing family has to suffer where every single year they have to fight for keeping him in jail and not allowing parole. Just think about the it's the sentence that, that the victim and their families suffer for the rest of their lives. And he's still, he's still saying that he's innocent. So how exactly does witnessing this unfold as a child impact you as an adult? I just can't even describe to you how, how, how much it changed me as a, as a child. I didn't feel like a child anymore after that. I never again took it for granted, my own safety around the people around me. I just, even the stories that you read about how so-and-so shot so-and-so because they told them to wear a mask or because they cut them off in traffic or for any reason, you can be targeted for no reason. You can be targeted because somebody's in their own head and they're strung out on either mental illness or drugs or anything that you cannot see from the exterior. You think you're in a world where you can, you can count on sanity. You, you can't, it, it, it is so scary. And never again did I ever quite 
trust that strangers weren't capable of anything and everything, lock your doors, you know, <laughs> lock your windows. It, don't take it for granted. You hear all those, those silly little stories about, oh, it was such a small town. No one ever locked their doors. Why not? So for some unexplained reason, this case became one of those cases where even though there's copious evidence pointing to Eddie as Janet's killer, there are still people who claim that Eddie is innocent. These people point to a number of aspects in the case for their reasoning. They say the crime scene was contaminated by responders walking in and out. People point to the fact that not every piece of DNA from inside the Downing home was tested. And remember, this home was a central hangout location for countless neighborhood kids countless family members and their friends. So testing every DNA sample in a home is an arduous task. And honestly, it's kind of irrelevant because they had Eddie's bloody fingerprint at the crime scene, as well as Janet's blood on him. Some people say that Eddie didn't have enough defensive wounds on him for how brutal of an attack Janet suffered. But you have to remember that, yes, Eddie was 15 years old, but he stood at a towering six foot two and weighed around 250 pounds. Janet was five foot three and petite. It wouldn't have taken much to incapacitate her given their size difference. Right, so let's be real. The likelihood that the person who killed Janet Downing could be anyone else but Eddie O'Brien Jr. is extremely freaking slim. Nothing infuriates me more than when you do Google this case and you look into it, it's the, the real facts, the real dirty facts of the case and what was perpetrated against Janet get buried and lost underneath the, you know, pages of links of he could have been innocent, you know, just a child, just a big gentle giant. Should we really be charging him when he could have been innocent? There was another suspect. Maybe it was him or maybe the cops were tunnel vision. Don't believe everything that you read in the media. Don't believe everything that you hear because... As hard as it is to believe that someone is capable of something like this, it happens every day and everywhere, big cities, small towns. But if you really get down to it and you were really there at the time, there was nobody else that did this. Nobody else. All right, listen, you can pick apart and scrutinize and theorize and hypothesize about other potential people who could have done this. You can try to make other hypothetical suspects fit circumstantial evidence. But no matter how you look at it, you can't deny that when there's smoke, there is fire. And when coupled with the overwhelming physical evidence and circumstantial evidence, we can rest assured beyond a reasonable doubt that the right person is probably behind bars for taking Janet Downing away from her friends and family. To end our episode today, I want to borrow the words from Boston Globe's Patricia Smith, which encapsulates this tragedy rather perfectly. Quote, there should be another word for what happened to Janet Downing. Murder, with its two precise syllables, has no power to encompass the horror of an ordinary summer night gone horribly wrong. A two-beat noun that takes a second from thought to sound cannot begin to paint that tragic picture. One that pales and jolting reds the one in which a once beautiful, vibrant woman lies in repose, still life, breathless, already relegated to history.
Well, a huge thank you to Crystal for being our first degree today and last week. If you have a story to tell, please email us at hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time just by searching the first degree in the search bar and stick around because we're going to kill some time. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy Care Bear. Happy Give a Priest a Beer Day. Such a weird day. Odd. Bye. Music and sound design for The First Degree is brought to you by Jared Monaco. Shout out to our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago at Podcast One. Sources for today's episode includes court documents, the Boston Globe, Boston Magazine, the Associated Press, South Coast Today, the Somerville Times, the New York Times, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. All right. Well, welcome to yet another episode of Killing Time. You know what's weird is we are recording in the morning. So weird. It's so, so odd. I, I don't feel like the same person. Well, because you're not drinking an alcoholic beverage and neither That's is Billy. True. I am not. But I am. Right. By myself. I know the, ta- the tables have turned. The tables have turned because it's usually the exact opposite. I know. I'm drinking a hard kombucha. I bought this June shine. I went camping and I bought it and I kept thinking I was going to have it after like a nice long hike. But as Alexis knows, they have caffeine in them and they'll like keep you up if you drink them a little bit too late. So it just never worked out. So now I'm like, it's time. Wait a second. There's caffeine in June shine? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I think so. Because it's kombucha. I, I mean, that's cool. That's great if there is. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's their natural, whatever it is in kombucha that makes you stay up. But I didn't know that. I should be drinking one of those. I need a nice little pick me up this morning. Did you? So have you t- cut out caffeine completely, Alexis? No, I had a Diet Coke <laughs> yesterday, which was amazing. See, it's that's what's weird. Sometimes it, it's fine, and sometimes I just go off the deep end. But no, the Diet Coke I had yesterday was amazing. Okay. So you're like, you're like, I'm just not taking it in pill form anymore. <laughs> You're just not overdosing on caffeine pills like Jesse Spano. You literally did that. I know. I, but like what's weird is that I didn't get uh, 
jittery, I got nauseous where I like laid in bed and was tired. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wish I at least felt sick and like I could get something done. I just laid there paralyzed and tired. I'm like, this is not what I was expecting to happen. Overdose. Caffeine. Yeah. It'll do it. it. Weird. Okay, so for today's Killing Time, we had a lot of those um, most likely two questions. So we're just going to continue on, go through a few, because all of our lovely firsties just keep commenting on the post, and I keep getting great questions. So why not? Why not? Okay, so first one is, who is most likely to give birth to the Antichrist? Mm. Probably me. (laughs) Because you have it in you. Yeah. Because that's just something that would happen to me. Because like, <laughs> that's just, that's just totally my narrative. Well, Billy, you have kids. None of them are the Antichrist that you know of. That yet. I know of. Yeah. Not yet. But so, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I also didn't if, give birth either. So, And if you give birth, Jack, if Jared's the dad, it could never be but what you could give birth to is a golden retriever (laughs) (laughs) that would be weird (laughs) but that super possible with jared as the dad he is no there's too much there's too much goodness in in my partner i have i have probably more of the evil but there's not enough evil in me to give birth to an antichrist right and i yeah so that the answer is me (laughs) (laughs) yet again okay Who would be most likely to be framed for murder and what would happen? Billy. Me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's too too easy of a narrative. Yeah. Also, like, yeah, because you dabble in too many questionable things. Strange things. Questionable people. Questionable things. Yes. If they if they looked at my my bookcase, even, yeah, it would make a good narrative. Do you have you ever been um, afraid for your safety, Billy, in the work that you do? Yeah, yeah, um, especially on with the uh, with the Facebook stuff and with solving some of those. I've gotten threats and threats from family members. Never threats from the people, but threats from family members. And then that's why we had to have a, a, like an armed guard uh, when I did the book stuff. An and I just told them, I said. Like whenever every every book uh, signing I did, I had an armed guy, oh. and um, yeah, and I had to tell them, hey, you know, when you see, because because we know that there are so many people there, and that there's a lot of you know, like true crime is is mainly female. So if you see like one guy by himself, it's usually somebody that might not be might not be there for the right reasons, but nothing happened, so it was all good. That's scary, though. I guess it is. It's like you're basically telling them everywhere that you're going to be. So it's like if you want to find me, yeah. Yep. There I am. And then I got got a threat in North Carolina too. So then I had to have like, I had the police with me too. Threat from who? Somebody threatened, somebody called me. Your phone? Yeah. What'd they say? They said, welcome to North Carolina murder squad or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit. Billy, you need (laughs) to speak up. All right. Well, I'm speaking up. I mean, should I raise my levels? No, I just need you to talk closer to your mic or talk louder. I texted you, but you didn't see it. So just tell me. Okay. All right. Uh, How's that? Is that better? Yes. Okay. You sound good. Okay. Next question. Next question is, who is most likely to receive a package you don't remember ordering because you were a little bit tipsy when you went online shopping? 
Is that even Jared. a question? <laughs> I feel like Jared or Jack. It's Jack. I, I did. Yeah. I did just remember that I ordered a cowhide bucket hat when I was drunk last Ew, weekend. Well, that's <laughs> even uglier than a regular bucket hat. No. No, bucket hats are cool now. Haven't you seen the Instagram of I of was Jared just telling Jack? Jack that she's influenced me to think they're cool now, but they are objectively ugly. They're, pre- on they're you, pretty they're cool. ugly. But this is one of those things. It's like the Birkenstock. And you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to buy a Croc sometime soon. Because when something gets no. so ugly, then you can turn it back around and it's cool again. You can't wear Crocs. Please don't. Do you think I should Okay, get fine. Crocs? I don't think you should get Crocs. But I do have... Okay, so insider information on Jack opening packages. I'd say 50% of the time, she's surprised at what's inside. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like every other box, she's just like, oh... I well, don't. it's some it's some of it's like influencer stuff that people just like send me. But yeah. some yeah. things I'm like, yes, this cowhide bucket hat that I know I've like <laughs> subconsciously wanted for so long. And then you know what? With Apple Pay, they make it way too fucking easy. To really do- easy. It is shocking. Ridiculously easy with Apple Pay. Apple Pay is is going to be the death of us all. Yeah. Why don't you? Are you going to start doing unboxing videos then? Um, no, Billy. <laughs> Are you going to start doing unboxing videos? No, I'm not. He for sure is. Fine, maybe I'll do one tonight. From your all your John Varvatos purchases you my- make with your influencer <laughs> discount? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm yes, not an yes, influencer. People want to do the opposite of what I do. It Alexis, feels good. I, Alexis, you have a niche influence. <laughs> That's true. Some people message me and are like, where the fuck did you get that thing in the background of this thing? I'm like, oh, that's never mind. Anyways, <laughs> you're like, that's another um, Jonathan Adler mini vase. Yeah, that's all I buy is clothes and shit from Jonathan Adler. Not an um, ad. Just not an ad. I wish it was an ad. I wish it should be an ad. Me yeah. too. Uh, they, if you're listening, they might, they might be listening. Okay. Who mm-hmm. is most likely to black out and then be totally fine the next morning? Me. Me. Do you ever get hangovers, Billy? Mm, very, very rarely. <sighs> Same yeah. with I Jared. To, I beg to differ. I've seen you in really rough shape. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know I what also, the fuck you're talking about. Also, <laughs> also um, you know, I mean, if you're like, I don't drink red wine. Red wine's the worst thing for hangovers, too. So if like, if you guys go into red wine with those tannins and everything, you're, you're you know, so if I'm, if you stick with the clear alcohol mm, and a lot of it, that's not true. Yeah. Like for tequila? me, clear alcohol. <laughs> yeah. It's clear alcohol. No headache. Not even clear alcohol. Vodka. Really tired, but no headache. That's mm-hmm. the only upside for me mm-hmm. to vodka where it's like the headache in hangovers is what I can't power through. I can't power through the tiredness. Also, another thing is that both me and Alexis, we drink Tito's, and Tito's is gluten-free. Mm. And that might have something to do with it. Our alcohol is not gluten-free. I like Tito's. I don't like vodka, but I like Tito's. Yeah, this is not a ad. It's Tito's <laughs> is made of corn, and all the other ones are made of wheat. So, Oh, I never knew that. Yep. I get a hangover from drinking two glasses of wine these days, so I'm just like screwed all the time. Do you want to know what my secret my secret um like guilty pleasure vodka is i love ciroc oh i love ciroc and ciroc is made of grapes grapes yep and it also gives you very uh minimal hangover is ciroc expensive yeah mm. not like brand. not like 
it's super expensive for life, but compared to other vodkas, it's probably like around $35 a bottle. Yeah. Like where Tito's would be $18.99 for the same size. Oh, so it's fancy. Yeah, I've got three bottles of coconut Ciroc in my bar right now. Coconut? Yeah. What do you and mix, then you it, mix with? it Just soda and then like a lime wedge. Mm. It's really good. It sounds like Again, a Again, not a sponsor, but we're open to it. <laughs> not a sponsor, Why are we but talking about yeah. so many brands. Some of these are organic because they are, are, are organic. This is like our equivalent of an unboxing video yeah. for alcohols. Yes, give me all the on calls. Okay, who is, have we done this one most likely to survive a zombie apocalypse? Um, I don't think I, we've done no, this we one. haven't done this one, but I think you would, Jack. Really? Yeah, because I think you would just like play dead somewhere and then <laughs> fall asleep <laughs> by accident and then wake up and then it would be over and you're like, the only one left or what I would do is I obviously would be my partner would be Jared and then I would just throw him in front of me and he's very bulky so like he would get most of the brunt of the zombie attack you're saying they would take a long time feeding on yeah (laughs) (laughs) they could feed on this calf for so long one single calf and then I could run away Yes, if they weren't so, if they had brains, they would be. They would. They would be like, look at this calf, and they would open an entire restaurant based on Jared's legs. <laughs> it's called, That's true. Jerry's Deli. Jerry's Deli. Yeah, exactly. But it's a good news that they will not have their own brains. Yes. And like Alexis, years. like Alexis has pointed out, I am surprisingly athletic, so I might be able to run deceptively, away. Deceptively, deceptively <laughs> athletic. Like we're Jack moves at slow motion 90% of the time the 1% is she's like doing Olympian style fucking moves somewhere and I'm just like we went skiing and she's like doing jumps I'm like are you kidding me like I run every day and I I work out and I'm like sliding my whole body down a mountain because I can't do anything and Jack's like going down these like trails at like thousands of miles an hour I'm just like this is a joke right she doesn't even try also we went well Oh, go ahead. I was not done. And then we go to like an arcade and I'm like, yeah, I'll play you Jack in this basketball game. You're like, okay. And she's like, want to make a wager? Like you think she's going to lose. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so much more athletic than Jack. And then she's like a fucking Shaquille O'Neal. And just like, what is this trickery? You got to watch out. She'll shark you. I know. Yeah. yeah. She's good at it. She is. What can but I yeah. say? I'm, I'm I mean, you did sports as a kid, but you did sports as a kid. So I feel like you just got like weird muscle memory and you did like agility shit. And that's always what you're good at. Yeah. Well, also we went camping this weekend up in Yosemite, which is like high elevation that I usually die in, but we went hiking. I was like in front of Jared. He was trying to keep up with me. He couldn't do it. No, well, his calves were probably weighing him down. Well, he's like, you try lugging all this body up a hill. Yeah. Like he's got like 80 sandbags on each leg. <laughs> but yeah. And Jared, Jared was also probably carrying everything too. I, I would was. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and you were probably wearing the bucket hat, Jack. And he probably, yeah. the sun you were just eyes. like, would this make a good photo? And then Jared's got to get out the, yeah, it's. And he's got like a can. <laughs> he's got a gallon of water in one hand and a cooler exactly. in the other hand. <laughs> he's got I'm the like, lighting Jared, set up too. He's got, Jared, he's, on, he's like, should we? use sticks on this one yep ring light he brought the diva light with him <laughs> no jared you're like a little pack mule that's what i said up, I- up in tibet like a little tibetan mountain goat 
I had carrying a, a load. On my back. Yeah. I know. I'm like, do you want to carry me now? I'm done walking. Yeah, I'm done walking. <laughs> he did a good job, though. You know, that's what he's for. Instagram boyfriend. I don't like hiking anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> you've ruined hiking for him, Jack. All right. Well, we're we're at 1350. Have we killed enough time? Yeah, we killed some time. We killed it. Okay. Beep. 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 Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.